Hi, welcome to the Freudcast. Eating without having an impact is not easy, but there are ways of doing it. Up to 30% of global greenhouse gases come from producing our food, yet every year a third of all the food grown in the world is wasted. In fact, in the UK alone, over 3 million tonnes of fruit and veg is wasted before it's even left the farm. Fruit and veg subscription service Oddbox is working to tackle this waste. For the Freudcast, co-founder and CEO Emily Van Poppering spoke to Lillian Meinge on the importance of taking small steps towards sustainable change. We tackle food waste at farm level and we do that through a model of a veg box. So actually we work directly with fresh produce suppliers and rescue produce which are at risk of going to waste either because they don't meet supermarket specification or because they are surplus to requirements. So anything which is too big, too small or just too many or, or too wonky, uh, that's the kind of produce that we take and uh, we um, provide that directly to customers uh, through uh, a service of uh, home delivery veg box. Brilliant. I mean, it's um, an absolutely fascinating way of um, tackling sustainability um, and sounds like it's been really, really effective. So um, why, what inspired you to tackle sustainability in this way? So I've always wanted to do something um, better for the world. And uh, initially, actually, so my background is in uh, in finance. So I started in the corporate world, moved uh, after a few years to the charity sector where I was focusing on empowerment of adolescent girls in developing countries. Um, but uh, actually, I come, uh, I'm originally from France. My grandparents were potato farmers, and uh, I've grown up in the countryside with always a huge garden where we would grow our own produce uh, and consume uh, quite consume produce that we had grown ourselves and freeze a lot and actually kind of use uh, what was in season. And so when, uh, um, so then I went, I worked for a little while uh, in India, uh, where again, um, you get mangoes only two months in a year. And uh, so you, you really enjoy it during that time. Uh, but you know that uh, after June, uh, you'll have to wait another 10 months. And uh, so when I came to the UK, it's amazing when you go to the supermarket in the UK, you get everything available all year round. So you get strawberries in December. When uh, in France, you uh, it's more difficult to find. But at the same time, strawberries in winters don't really taste of anything. And so there was that kind of fascination for the fact that uh, I could buy anything, but a bit of frustration that it just didn't taste as it should. And so I started looking uh, a bit more into uh, what what was happening, which was different from the way the um, retail sector was working in France. And uh, that's when I came across the issue of food waste. And at the same time, there was a French supermarket who ran a campaign on uh, ugly fruit and veg, actually uh, led by a PR agency. So a really successful campaign to promote the consumption of uh, and sale of wonky fruit and veg in supermarkets. And, uh, um, and there was uh, programs in the UK as well around uh, called the war on waste. So I became a lot more aware of uh, how much waste was happening 
and also the impacts it has on uh, on climate change. So uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, food waste is the third largest contributor to greenhouse gases. Uh, after the uh, US and China. So in terms of, uh, of it's the size, almost the size of uh, China uh, in terms of the contribution it has to uh, uh, to greenhouse gases. And uh, uh, if we could actually solve the issue of food poverty by uh, not wasting a fourth of what we're wasting, uh, on an annual basis. So it's it's a massive issue and I didn't know much about it. And so when I kind of uh, learned more about that, um, I then uh, thought, uh, I did some more research and then found uh, actually in the US, uh, two startups who had some, launched something very similar to Outbox and were um, rescuing misshapen fruit and veg and uh, selling them directly to consumers through uh, a veg box model. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. Let me see if I can find something similar in London. And actually, I couldn't find anything. So I thought, oh, maybe uh, that's something I could trial uh, and see if there's a market in the UK. And so when we started Outbox, uh, we started really small. Uh, we found a few suppliers, uh, fresh produce suppliers at the New Covent Garden market, which is the wholesale market. And um, we put a few leaflets in our neighborhood, uh, got a few friends to also uh, be part of our uh, customer trial. And uh, at the start, it was just a six-week trial where we delivered uh, to 20 people on a weekly basis. And and that's kind of really how Outbox started. It's such an amazing story. I think so often we are um, inspired by the small things that... Um, that we've experienced. And uh, I love hearing about your experience from when you were growing up and, um, you know, seeing how sustainably people were farming and using everything and coming full circle to also having your own um, contribution to that. Um, I, you've touched on something that I I found quite astonishing when you look at the numbers. Um, it, it's surprising to understand that between 33 and 50% of all food produce globally is never eaten. Yeah. Um, you've obviously mentioned about a contribution to greenhouse gases, but I think on this point of the food never actually making it to our plates is very driven by um, demand and how we access foods, particularly in the UK, mostly shopping directly in supermarkets. I would love your insights on what you think is really driving this need or this um, appetite for sort of perfect foods and, um, you know, perfectly shapen foods and very particularly shapen foods. Um, what do you think are the, the main drivers for this? Yeah. So I, I, so I think there's several drivers, so, but initially the reason why supermarkets, um, set up this kind of standards of how produce should look like was a EU regulation, which, was put in place to help drive um, kind of quality standards for fresh produce. So it was set up um, 30 years ago in terms of uh, to get the kind of standards of quality. Let's 
put regulations on what produce should look like. Um, that regulation was lifted uh, over 10 years ago, but supermarkets kept the standard because uh, it's a lot easier to pack uh, produce in um, kind of in big boxes and later on in plastic if they all look the same. So there's an element of uh, Kind of convenience for the retailer of uh, it's easier to put five potatoes of 200 grams to make one kilo uh, bag than uh, put having uh, potatoes which are all different sizes. So there's an element of kind of uh, convenience of that standard, standardization. And I think also we shop with our eyes. So in some ways we've been uh, trained or we've been kind of used to seeing things the way they are or a specific way and something different uh, don't necessarily look as appealing. So if you've got a straight carrot just next to a wonky carrot, then it's a lot more likely that you'll choose the straight carrot, even though you very well know that uh, both of them probably uh, taste the same. So I think there's an element of, of, and that's where it's a bit of chicken and egg, who's responsible for setting up these standards? Is it the consumer? And that's what the retailers are saying, that actually consumers want perfect looking produce. Uh, and consumers are saying that that's not true. With, but in some ways, that's what we've seen. We've only seen perfect looking produce. With that in mind, even to, to take it a step further, it seems like there's a, a bit of a shift now, but still the need for a re-education. Um, as you say, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, um, and there's still the need for people to make a lot more conscious decisions in terms of their selection and um, how they decide what they eat. I'm aware that uh, part of your work is just um, educating and communicating the story of where our food comes from um, and how our personal food choices can impact the planet just in an effort to drive that conscious um, consumption of food. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about how you've approached this re-education of the public. Yeah, and actually it comes from the fact that uh, for us, it's always been around uh, so we're about uh, tackling food waste and we want to have a massive impact. We know that uh, we'll never have a massive impact just by uh, rescuing and selling the uh, fruit and veg. So in terms of the size of the problem, um, it's a massive issue and there's only so many boxes that we can sell. So plus, uh, we want to have a much long, longer term impact. And that needs to happen through education. So in terms of our mission, it's about rescuing surplus fruit and veg from going to waste. But it's also around fostering conscious consumerism. And um, it's about explaining what's in season and, uh, and what's grown uh, locally. It's about uh, explaining how much resources it takes to grow the produce. Because in lots of cases, people don't really realize that uh, it's a lot of water uh, usage which grows into uh, the produce that we're consuming. Uh, so for example, a banana is the equivalent of 100 liters of water. So when somebody wastes a banana, that's 100 liters of water that they throw in the bin. And I think kind of once people... Uh, can realize that, then it makes it, they're a lot more conscious 
when they waste. So uh, for us, it's really important that uh, uh, we bring the kind of uh, the stories of the farm, the stories of the growers, uh, and uh, uh, and what happens in the field to our consumers, because it will make them kind of uh, make better choices. A lot of people don't uh, have, have no, kind of, especially now new generations, have no ideas of how much resources it takes to grow the produce that we eat. But, but also for us, it's also about kind of helping people with the produce that we provide. So it's not enough uh, to just kind of send them a lot of different produce that they, uh, in some cases they, they might have never consumed and might not know what to do with. So uh, we also want to make sure that we don't pass on the problem of food waste from uh, farm to home. Uh, because all, already in terms of the size of the issue of food waste, uh, over 50% of uh, food is wasted in people's home. So um, 30% is wasted at farm level and the remaining of 20% is wasted in the supply chain. But uh, the biggest issue is still uh, in people's home. So for us, it's really important that we also uh, educate people on what to do with the produce um, and, uh, and kind of provide easy tips, recipes, how to freeze, uh, what to, to do with things that they've no, never cooked before and kind of bringing a bit more excitement into discovering new produce. Amazing. And I think definitely there's something to be said about how um, engaging people on a uh, a level that makes the process and makes um, conservation of food feel a bit more exciting, a little bit more adventurous, even as you explore different ways of using the food can be really, really engaging as part of the wider com- communications um, element and education element of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a chance to to look at some of the uh, resources that you have, and I was really inspired with some of the things that are possible Um, And I'm sure this has been an inspiration for so many. Um, The thing that really strikes me is the alignment of the work that you're doing with the sustainable development goals. Um, Sometimes we think of the SDGs as um, this grand plan that is to be tackled on a um, sort of a top line level, but it's so great to see and hear that there are things that we can do every single day, um, day to day, to be able to tackle uh, food waste, um, to be able to address things like SDG 2, Zero Hunger, or SDG 13, uh, Climate Action. Um, could you tell us a little bit, um, you've touched on it um, here and there throughout the conversation, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you're actively pursuing the achievement of the SDGs in your work. Yeah, and so so for us, kind of one of our big objectives is, so nowadays people are a lot more aware of uh, the issue of plastic and plastic waste. And thanks to David Attenborough and Blue Planet, the impact that plastic has on uh, on the ocean and on natural resources. A lot less people are aware of the link between food waste and climate change. And actually, part of what we do is around kind of helping people uh, understand that uh, they don't necessarily need to do a lot, but they can take easily some small actions 
to contribute to reducing our impact on uh, on the world and on the climate so so we uh, so as you mentioned we're tackling mostly sdg 13 which is around climate change but also sdg 12 which is about uh, sustainable con consumption and production um and um very much it's so we we run a survey with our uh, customers and uh, only just over 50% uh, kind of truly realize that food waste has a huge impact on climate change a lot of people even though they are outbox customers and they uh, they believe in uh, tackling food waste they don't really understand the link it has with climate change so one thing that we developed is an impact calculator so uh, we've uh, we've worked with uh, uh, academics to look at each of the produce that we put in our boxes uh, the resources which have gone in terms of water and um, and CO2 equivalent into producing uh, and bringing this produce to the to the consumers and from that we've actually deducted our own impact so when people buy outbox uh, on a weekly basis or and actually we send it on a monthly basis so on a monthly basis we tell them how much uh, they've saved uh, in terms of water that uh, would have gone to been wasted because that, that's the water which have gone into growing the produce and the CO2, CO2 equivalent which has gone into growing the produce. And uh, then we translate that into what it means in terms of uh, versus the water that they would consume in a week or in a month. And in terms of CO2 equivalent, we translate that into uh, the energy it would take to heat their house. So that it makes it very relevant. And sometimes people can feel that they, they, uh, these goals are so massive that they can't really have an impact. So for us, for us it's always been really important that actually uh, it's every small step is important and every small step matters. And the kind of translating it into uh, the the facts and the data and what it means at their personal level means that uh, they kind of feel that they can have a big contribution on that big issue. And in terms of SDG um, uh, 2, which is around zero hunger, so that's never been kind of a, uh, a, a priority. We've always been kind of mainly about food waste. But at the same time, for us, uh, we uh, take produce at risk of going to waste we didn't want to have any gen we didn't want to generate any waste ourselves as a business and so from the start we've worked with uh, uh, city harvest and the felix foundation and uh, we've uh, we always have to order uh, sl slightly over order uh, when we pack our boxes because of the fact that uh, n not one produce will be the same size so we might have we order by weight and sometimes produce are bigger or smaller. So we, we've got some element of, um, of surplus after we've packed our boxes. And so anything that we have, we donate it to um, City Harvest and the Felix Foundation, which will then redistribute to soup kitchens and food banks. So, uh, so in some ways, we've always also contributed to helping reduce food poverty and making sure that uh, um, 
there was no waste in our activities. Great, thank you so much. Um, and um, to touch again on what you said about um, the SDGs feeling like they're very macro and the importance of small steps, um, I'd love to hear what you think about um, how we can engage more people. You mentioned a little bit earlier that um, the task of reducing food waste is um, beyond odd box and beyond, um, you know, the, the small scale. And it's required for uh, us to engage more people so that we can have grand impact and really make a difference to some of these stark statistics that we see. What are some of the ways that you think we can engage more people as we start having these conversations more and more? I think it's engaging at different generations. So one thing that uh, our customers say, uh, people who have children say that uh, actually their children get and also the adults get really excited about uh, the fact of receiving Outbox and it's a bit like Christmas every every week. So uh, that's uh, uh, that's something we are really proud because it's an amazing way of engaging children in the conversation, in helping them discover new produce, in helping them understand where uh, things are coming from and how it's it's grown, uh, and in helping them try different types of uh, of produce. So I think it's kind of it's quite important that uh, we start uh, that uh, conversation and the education quite early, so that uh, uh, our children. Um, really understand the, what it takes to uh, grow the food that we consume on a daily basis and that they don't feel that food just come from supermarkets because uh, in some ways when you live in London you could very well uh, not really know where the food has come from and just think that food comes from the supermarket so uh, so that's something that uh, we do. And for us, it's also about uh, creating that conversation between uh, people. And so beyond uh, talking about food, we also share other ways to be uh, sustainable uh, in their daily life. So I, there's, there's a lot of different aspects uh, around sustainability. And uh, it's kind of all the, the other small things that uh, people can do. So it's uh, for us, it's always been about uh, uh, the resources that uh, are already available. How can we make the most of these the resources? And so uh, we'll also, also quite often talk about uh, um, uh, how people can recycle, how can people, uh, can people can reuse. So there's a lot of different ways to uh, engage with sustainability. Brilliant. It's so good to hear that it's never too soon to start engaging young ones, um, particularly as this is a problem that is likely to impact the next generation if we're not able to um, drastically reduce the amount of waste and uh, impact on our planet. Um, I think it's been such a fascinating conversation, um, particularly hearing about the different ways that you're um, making a difference and um, being very sort of having this sustainable approach um, towards food production generally and making a change in that area. 
Um, I'll just ask if there was anything else that you wanted to add um, or any lasting, uh, any parting tips that you think would be really great for us to, to share with the listeners. So I, I would say kind of nothing is too small. So, uh, and uh, actually sometimes uh, people can uh, think uh, uh, I need to uh, go fully or not do anything but uh, for us it's uh, our approach has always been uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of people doing small steps uh, which matters more than one person doing a big step so um, uh, even if it's uh, just shifting to uh, uh, carrying uh, a, a keep cup even if it's just uh, shifting to uh, using less packaging, any small step is useful. Thanks to Emily, Lillian and to you for listening as well. You can keep up to date on the Freudcast and what else Freud is up to by following us on LinkedIn and on Instagram. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Matt Barbette. Bye-bye.